Support for today's show comes from Microsoft Teams. That's right, Microsoft Teams. It's your hub for teamwork in Office 365. With so much to look after, wouldn't it be great if there was just one place to look? Teams, that's Microsoft Teams, is that single workspace where you can work, share, and connect with the people in your work life. Teams brings together your chats, meetings, files, and apps all in one place. Take teamwork where you work with apps for mobile and desktop. So whether you're sprinting towards a deadline, I know what that's like, or sharing your next big idea, I hope I know what that's like, Teams can help you and your team achieve even more. Microsoft Teams in Office 365. Visit office.com slash teams to learn more. And now it is time for the Ringer MBA Show. Chris Ryan. Oh, I'm Danny Chow. I'm Justin Barrier. We're not doing sources say because it's the Western Conference Finals. Actually, it's all the conference finals. And game four just happened in Oakland. It was a weird one. It was basically like two different games that was alternating on and off between different quarters or something. Um, We're going to break it down. And let's begin with the final sequence of the fourth quarter. The game ended 95-92. I just want to note for the record, I predicted 105-102, so I'm, I'm feeling Pretty good. Close. I'm feeling good about myself right now. Probably better than the Warriors are feeling. I also bet anyone who would take it that $100 that the Warriors would win tonight. Nobody took me up on it. Well, Not a gambling we, man. <laughs> we fucked up. Me neither. I don't gamble. What's the point? Yeah. Sorry to the new new laws. Um, let's talk about the end of the game. So the Warriors are down 3 they get they get a rebound. Kevin Durant brings the ball up. He passes to Clay. He gets trapped in the corner. And the Warriors have a timeout, but Steve Kerr does not call one and they force a bad shot. And then we think the game is over. And it's not because Sean Livingston has fouled PJ Tucker. PJ has a, Tucker. has a nice little hand around his waist. It was a it was a nice little touch foul. Um, it was Chris Paul. Because he took Chris the because sh- he took the shots at the end. The two, the yeah, two free throws. It was Chris Paul. He goes one for two. And then they do call a timeout. They're down three. And um, Steph Curry gets a great look and he misses. And that's the end of the game. So first question. Should Steve Kerr have called a timeout when they got the rebound at the end when they were down two, 94-92? Probably. I think it's very much against the Warriors' DNA to take a timeout in that scenario. We've talked a lot about this season, how they play so free and like flowing and everything is everything good and bad kind of really stems from that. And that's probably why if Kerr is going to have to answer this is what he's going to say. But at the same time, you do have some of the best offensive players in the NBA maybe draw something up, especially when Clay was like clearly trapped for multiple seconds there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have called the timeout. KD had the ball in his hands. He should have just taken the shot. Yeah, they're, like, in transition. Those guys are all a bunch of John Wicks. So, like, why call a timeout and stop the momentum? I don't think he thought Kevin Durant was going to give it up. Why did Kevin Durant give it up? I'll have to ask Kevin Durant. I'm sure he'll give a really thoughtful, sensitive answer that respects the media. Very <laughs> very weird Kevin Durant game tonight. Was probably his worst of the series, which is notable. Um, it still ended with 27 points, but it felt like he worked for every single one of them. How Finished many shots? Nine for 24. And I felt like the nine were, like, really, really tough mid-range shots, 
all of which elicited incredible reactions from us when we were watching. In some ways, there were there was that one fading out of bounds baseline shot he right. took that was just like about as hard as any dunk I've ever seen pulled off. And it also felt like half of them were just shooting directly on top of Chris Paul's head. Yes. Like he rose to the height of Chris Paul on each of his jump shots. A lot of abuse of small people over the past few days. I, I don't stand for that here. <laughs> I, I don't either. Do you stand with Terry? <laughs> Absolutely. Wherever you are, Scary Terry, Justin Barrier stands with you. Um, what was the biggest difference for the Rockets tonight versus Game 3? Aggression. I thought that they withstood what was, I thought, like a very, very terrifying opening few minutes where they didn't score for five yes, minutes. Yes, it was 12-0 with like six or four minutes gone by. And it felt like they really stuck, you know, 42 minutes for Paul, 43 minutes for Harden, 44 for P.J. Tucker. They decided to play basically six guys. Gerald Green gave 12 minutes here to like spell some people. Crucial 12 minutes in the second half, For though. sure. And when he was in there, it was indicative of how they play tonight, which is very handsy, very lane-jumping, very... Uh, you know, aggressive guarding. Like, we were noting, like, Capella's guarding people on switches out at the half-court mark, and the Warriors just weren't able to go over the top and exploit any of the space that was left in behind them. So I just, like, I'm honestly, as the probably, like, signature Rockets hater of Ringer Podcast Network, I'm super impressed by the Rockets. I mean, absolutely, because the Warriors had amazing runs in the first and the third, and then they came back in the second and the fourth, and then ultimately won the game. Um, what... Is it about the Warriors that they just basically like take off quarters? Like it's kind of like LeBron, but it's a or whole take th- off games after wins. Yeah, take right. off games after wins. I mean, as Chris was saying, it was kind of the game seven for the Rockets. It, they played pretty much six guys, and it, to a certain extent, seven because Gerald Green got a few minutes in there. Hey, shout out Gerald Green, by the way, a game high plus fourteen in the nice. game. Nice. And the Warriors didn't have Iguodala, which seemed to screw up the rotations to a certain degree. Jordan Bell was in there a little bit more than usual. You saw Quinn Cook for two minutes there. Uh, it, it just at, at one point, there was a Warriors lineup in the second quarter of Kevin Durant, Swaggy P, Jordan Bell, Kevon Looney, and Sean Livingston. And this is kind of what the Warriors do, right? They still weave in some of these unproven young guys into what they do with just a Kevin Durant or Steph Curry on the floor all the time. They just hope that that's enough to kind of power them through that. The difference here was the Rockets played their best guys pretty much every time on the court, and Chris Paul actually played like one of the best guys on the floor for once. Yeah, that was one of the biggest differences. Chris Paul actually had a good a good game. Chris and he Paul should. back. He right. should, because there's, there's an argument to be made, and, and people have been talking about this for a couple of days, that a loss tonight would have ended the Chris Paul era in Houston. As an era, I don't know if you can call one season an era, but that they would have to give serious thought to whether or not you're going to assign a guy at that age with that injury history who has had some problems in the postseason to come back and pay him past his prime. I'm, I'm just not what? here it's for, for still, this Chris Paul. It's not slander. Shame. I'm just like, look at Daryl Morey, man. I mean, like, you think he's really going to pony up 35 or whatever much Chris Paul's do? Well, does they it still probably shouldn't. I don't know. Chris Paul still was one of the best players in the NBA when he was healthy this season. And I think if maybe not full max, but I think you get somewhere close to that because when he is playing and if it's only for 50 games, let's say you're getting one of the best players in the NBA still. It it just look as as the resident D'Antoni just, you know, disciple mythologer. Right. I, I have way too many nightmares about what happened with Steve Nash to contemplate giving Chris Paul another four years of, of hmm. you know, huge money. Right, and he's older, and smaller point guards, as you're alluding to, definitely don't age as well. But look at what he was able to do tonight. He didn't have a particularly right. good offensive game, 
27 points, shot 50% from three. But oh, what he was doing, just moving the ball and just making things happen, it had a dramatic impact on the whole game. And also uh, compensating for Harden, who again was like kind of off. And right. Didn't what, have a great game. It, what is with Harden? It feels like every point he scores takes him at least 20 seconds. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I believe in Chris's like passion against him. <laughs> no, no I, I totally get it. It's, it's the way he's kind of built to play the game. He's very methodical. He's he's basically timing your timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's using your timing against you. That's that's how he plays. And it's it can be beautiful and it can be completely frustrating. Today today was great because it was a clash of styles that were actually complementary. I thought the Warriors at their best in that second quarter run were doing the downhill running, were doing the the, the stretching the floor beyond the three-point line shooting. But the Rockets were able to chip and chip and chip and then soak up clock and kind of make the Warriors work for 23, 22 yeah. seconds per possession. And honestly, like I don't really love speculating about rest or exhaustion any more than I like talking about refereeing. But you could see that Draymond had a little less lift at the end. Yeah, I think there's like a couple. We should go over like kind of a couple of pivotal moments. Like how worried should you be based on what you saw? Like starting at the first quarter, how worried are you about Klay Thompson? He heard his. He had like a crash. He heard. I was his more knee. worried for you. <laughs> I was. I was really worried. I had a pit in my stomach. Didn't want to watch this Warriors team without Clay. Also, he is. I mean, Steph is their most important player, but he is way more important than Iguodala. He's way more essential to what they do than. I mean, you know, behind Durant, I don't know. Him and Draymond are both really important. But I think because we haven't had a clay blackout game, that's where the worry well, creeps the first in. Game one was yeah. probably the closest. Yeah, but like there was not a point in this game, even when he, before the injury. Uh, where you were really concerned about Clay absolutely losing it and and burying three threes in a row and putting the game out of reach. And this is interesting because both of these teams kind of thrive on putting their foot on people's necks and kind of putting these games out of reach for the other. Mm-hmm. So it was really kind of interesting to see them not to tighten up, but like be in the unfamiliar territory of having a a game that was swinging back and forth between three point leads back and forth. I think they see it was it was more than that though. The Warriors were down seven at the half. I think that was the Rockets' biggest. They were lead. up fifteen, I think, at some point, then down seven at the half. Yeah. yeah, and so it was not just like it wasn't necessarily a close game, but it was like a game of runs, which is like you know right. the, sure. the most classic basketball, I guess. But. That it was weird to see them tired like midway through the fourth. I think that's sooner than you're used to seeing either of these teams play because they both blow teams out so much. And I think that's just kind of how you have to approach every single game with Golden State. The entire objective of the defense is to kind of chip away at that margin of error that they have. Mm-hmm. And when you have, you know, Iguodala out, you have Clay Thompson a little bit compromised, you can kind of hunt Curry down because he has these three fouls. That gives you the kind of leeway that allows Harden to have an explosive first half or an explosive second quarter. That allows Chris Paul to come in and become a hero in the second half. And within that, you get, you know, a little bit of contributions from Gordon, Ariza. P.J. Tucker had a huge rebounding performance. That's where it comes from. Yeah, 16 P- boards for Tucker, 13 for Capella, yeah. Tucker's new Draymond, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you kind of alluded to it, Danny. It's just the margins are a little bit smaller nowadays, only because, yes, they do have those three transformative offensive players, but uh, throughout the season, we talked about Andre Iguodala just not being there as an offensive option, and he's been pretty consistent offensively throughout these playoffs, but now you have guys like Draymond in there. He was over 2 from 3. Looney isn't much of a factor on the offensive end, and you get deep into the bench. It's really just hoping Nick Young shoots well from 3, yeah. and he didn't do that tonight and so you're really just relying on KD and Steph and you become a little bit more predictable and the Rockets were able to sniff them out 
this is one of those games where you look at their you look at the Warriors depth chart and you're like, why the hell do they have four bigs that they never use? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Why yeah. did they why didn't they get rid of one of those guys and kept Omri Caspi? You know, this is a game where as bad as Patrick McCall was this season, you could you could have, you know, used him in that Nick Young role as a defensive guy. Isn't he still hurt though? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So he's out. They miss yeah, the, yeah. F- the four guys they didn't use on their bench day, all centers. Yeah, it's, the, it's the performance art signings that they have done, the JaVales, the the Youngs, keeping David West around, I assume, for locker room stability. He yeah. played a little bit, but is obviously out of the rotation. He, he was much better. Zaza's out of the ro- rotation. That's a lot of dead weight to be carrying. I know that it's not like D'Antoni played that many more people, but I feel like probably could have gotten a little bit from like a couple of minutes of Ryan Anderson or if Luke had to play and they just said, don't lift your arms above your head. Like, he would be fine. <laughs> just stand there. How big is Iguodala? So are we seeing the Iguodala factor as a three-point margin? It just really shows that the Warriors aren't necessarily as deep as we kind of say they are. They're very top-heavy. Has have people been saying that, though? I think that's been a narrative this season, though. The Warriors are, are not right. as deep. Like, it, that this, this team is not as deep as the previous ones, basically. One thing I would want to go back and check is how much Iguodala defended Paul in the first mm-hmm. two games. Yeah. Or at the very least, was able to switch on to him, was able to fluster him. Because he did seem like he was able to get to his spots a little bit easier. And as we said before, like the when he's able to orchestrate and Harden's able to play off of that, they're just a completely different team. Iguodala has that low stance where he's like shoots his arms out, you know, mm-hmm. that also really gets in the way with what Chris Paul does. We saw tonight with some of his amazing passes, like the one on the baseline was incredible, but he has a way of guarding where he can go big or small and just take up all the space that yeah. they, they miss when he's not on the, on the court. Um, I also think that Draymond missed dunk just really like that one. <laughs> it was illustrative of, how, of, of like how exhausted that team must have been. Yeah, that, that and, and also, um, there's a lot of shorted threes from Clay and Steph as well mm-hmm. that I think just spoke to their level of exhaustion. It is weird to see them this tired. Like he, I, I, I can't really remember a Warriors team like seeming fatigued yeah, I don't, before I, the finals. I think that you could make one argument that a younger legs and b like back a couple of seasons ago they were more regularly beating teams by 25, 30 points and not playing fourth quarters and maybe had a little bit more yeah. gas in the tank. I have no numbers to back that up, but. I think one thing that's happening here is, and I I just don't know how to get to the bottom of this, but they're not playing good twice in a row. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they they obviously uh, have moved through the first round the first round of the playoffs pretty easily, but I feel like they are are kind of coming up short after wins, and like they've, they they kind of think they fixed it, they've got it all figured out. There was nothing about tonight though that I felt like was anything close to sort of like not there mentally, not focused. They seemed focused. They just seemed completely stymied by the Rockets' defense. I think they also just had a couple of really bad turnovers in the fourth. Like Clay had that, that couple of really stupid ones. I, I was like, did he also get a concussion when he hurt his knee or something? Not to joke about concussions. Of course not. <laughs> Never. <laughs> but Tell the truth. Um, That's they, a concussion but, joke. <laughs> <laughs> Gray, Gray Will Smith impression. <laughs> Will we be seeing you at the World Cup as well to help I, him sing? I, I, probably because I'll be fired from the ringer for making fun of concussions. <laughs> yeah. um, the Warriors, like, I find this kind of annoying about the Warriors narrative, but how they always point to, like, how many passes, how many assists, and um, how many passes they have. But it is true. They were, were playing a lot more um, like off the dribble and in isolation tonight than previously. I guess it comes down to how much faith you have in the Warriors and their ability to see the big picture. Because we said this all throughout the season that 
while we could have hit the panic button a few times that they were so good and they've shown so much over the course of the past couple of years that you didn't really have to worry. And now you're looking at the box score and you're saying, well, they didn't play particularly well, but they did get a lot of guys involved, whereas the, the Rockets, as we mentioned, only using six or seven guys. I'm wondering if maybe they lost this game by a little bit, but they make it up in game five, in game six, Because the Rockets game are seven. taxed? Right, just because the Rockets are playing game seven every game now, whereas the Warriors can kind of stretch it out. There, I don't know. I mean, it definitely looks like that with the with the lineups that Kerr's been putting out there. He's really throwing lineups he's never played in the regular season. Pretty much putting, you know, four non-factors on offense around Durant and just kind of like See letting if you can it stop the bleeding for letting a while. it go for about two minutes. Yeah, like why not? Maybe this is what the Rockets have been playing for all season long. I mean, this is it. They're going to get the Game 7 in Houston on Monday night, probably. You know, they'll probably split the next two, and they'll get this Game 7 that they won all these regular season games for, and that tr- they they kept the f- foot on the gas throughout the end of the season as other teams were like, well, we'll just wait till the postseason and worry about it then. They get this game in Houston, and I I kind of am— I, that that's going to be one of the most anticipated games in the last three or four years in the NBA. D'Antoni has to get it. Yeah. He has to get it. Like, <laughs> you're, this, you're, you're, I'm you're like, giggling. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm grinning ear to ear right now. It's just one day D'Antoni's methodology of, of putting seven guys on the court, and that's it, is going to work. Depth is, is, is one day. <laughs> depth is a lie. Yeah, depth depth, is, depth a lie. is for the regular season. It's, it's, for, it's for all seasons. <laughs> I, I'm, like, I, I'm ready. Let's, let's go. I feel like there's going to be a game where someone from the depths of the Rockets bench just like comes through and wins it for them. Like I'm waiting, Joe? I'm waiting for the Joe Johnson game. The rising game. of Joe Jesus? I'm, it would be perfect like circle for yeah. the Suns and Danny in particular for a Joe Johnson comeback game. If, if Joe Johnson didn't break his orbital bone in 04, 05. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, he was a, okay, so he was a backup point guard then. He's this a backup power story forward time. D'Antoni story time with Danny Chow. <laughs> <laughs> No, but there are a lot Dare of guys there. I mean, they, they have Nene. They have guys that could do things. So if this does, I'm almost like... This is, this is absurd. He's yeah. not playing Nene. <laughs> like, that's completely ridiculous. And also, this series hinges on Kevin Durant. I mean, that's right. that's ultimately the bottom line, right? Because, like, if Curry does the first and the third, Durant has to take the second and the fourth, particularly the fourth. And he just had a horrible fourth quarter. Like, yeah. a bunch of really bad shots. The ones we're used to seeing him make. Like, I love I love to dream this dream with you about Iso Joe coming off the bench for, <laughs> yeah. for one beautiful quarter. But if Kevin Durant makes, like, three of those shots, like, it's kind of, I think the question is, how likely is it that Kevin Durant will have an off, have an off night for the next two out of three games? Right. The Warriors lost by three. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's not like they lost by And they usually 12. won't have 16 turnovers, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I hope so. How many assists do they have? 14. 14. 14 assists isn't enough for them to win, right? They like to get like a minimum of 20. Jonathan Sharks wrote for Tuesday about this basic math problem that the Rockets face every night. They know they can depend on Harden and Paul for at least 50, 60 points. Where's the other offense going to come from? Because you need to have at least one more person to make up the point differential for what, the four or five guys who can potentially put that up for the Warriors. Right, and Gordon has been that key guy that Sharks has been talking about for weeks now, and he was awful at times. There were just times where I had no idea if he was spasming out of control or trying to get to the basket or or what he was doing. He hit enough 
from the perimeter and and got enough shots at the basket to make it worth it. But I do wonder if you do get some more from those ancillary guys in the Warriors, it almost cancels out that, and all of a sudden we're looking at another blowout. It's so interesting to watch like the tenets of certain uh, organizational philosophies, whether you want to call it Mori Ball or even some of the ball movement post spur stuff that the the Warriors like to run. That's also in itself borrowed from older D'Antoni teams. Watch that stuff crumble in the playoffs a little bit. Like, the Rockets were kind of hunting for open man three-pointers, but at the same time, we're like, but we have these driving lanes. Should we just take them? Right, and yeah. the Warriors, like, were really forced into, I, I you know, I, I want to see the shots here, but I'm looking at their shot chart right now. That's a fair amount of mid-range. There's quite a few. And, like, I think the Rockets are kind of like, we're going to guard you way out, and we're going to guard you down low, and you can you can do as much turnaround fadeaway jumpers as you want, and we'll take our chances. And you know what? Clay didn't hit those tonight. Yeah. And Kevin hit a couple for the highlight reel, but probably missed a few as well. So right. I think it's it's really fascinating to take away the, what the teams want to do. And tonight the Rockets got more of what they wanted to do. Absolutely. We'll talk more about them and the Warriors too. We haven't even talked about James Harden. But first, let me tell you about ADT. Is your home an ADT home? Get ADT and help protect against break-ins, fire, and carbon monoxide. For a limited time, get ADT's lowest rate starting at just $28.99 a month from the most trusted name in home security. That's just a dollar a day. ADT is the first security company to help keep you safe at home and when you're on the go with the new ADT Go app. Not to mention, ADT Go also offers a family locator, private messaging, automatic check-ins, and safe driving reports. It even includes an SOS button with a 24-7 emergency response. And you get ADT Go with the purchase of any security system. Yes, any security system. So go to ADT.com slash podcast to take advantage of ADT's lowest rate. That's ADT. It's tested. It's trusted. It's proven. With 36-month monitoring contract, early termination and installation fees apply. Excludes taxes and fees. Applies to traditional services only. Certain markets excluded. Licenses available at ADT.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about James Harden. What's going on with him? Weird night tonight from Harden. He had like a couple of nice shots, but in general, a quiet night for him. It was really the Chris Paul game. Is he like a part of the Warriors problem of not playing two games in a row in the playoffs? What is his deal? It's a very open-ended question. I don't know. I I'm I keep falling back to the defensive plays that he made in the second quarter. I was just like, this is so uncharacteristic of mm-hmm. him. And yet, you look at him and you're like, this guy should be a a fairly good defensive player. He's six five, six ten wingspan, strong body. You know, it's it's sometimes all about focus. And there were a few plays where he was on step where he was just completely locked in. And when you see that, you're just like, okay, I get it. I get why this guy is an MVP candidate. I get all of it, but it just never sticks around for longer than, you know, a three, four minute stretch. He was a, he was oddly passive early on, at least comparatively to his first couple games against the Warriors. And I almost wonder if he got burnt too early in that second game and decided to maybe like recalibrate when he's like distributing his effort, kind of almost like Chris Paul has been known to do. The classic, the Jordan six points a quarter. And right. then ramp it up in the fourth thing, yeah. Right, because he, he took six shots, which seems low for him in the first quarter, and I almost felt like he was 
picking his spots, and it actually ended up working in the end because he seemed like he had an extra burst. Like you mentioned, Danny, he was getting his hands all over the ball as the game kind of went along. Yeah, I think that you know he and Paul are so interesting to me because they're playing with such a heavy narrative weight on them, whether or not they would want to acknowledge that or not. But certainly is for us, as soon as they started, it was 7-0. Yeah. We were like, this is a wrap, chokers, other things, like... It, having, to do with, think, having to do with razors. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for uh, bringing this up. The most inexplicable moment, uh, way more than Steve Kerr not calling a timeout or whatever, was Harden passing up a completely wide open three in the open court in the first quarter. That was really, really weird and just speaks to, uh, I don't even know what it speaks to because it's such a, he's he's not not an alpha. Like he is an aggressive, dominant player, but that was the most passive any player has been in this series. It right. was so, so strange and that kind of like, flip-flopping. So if Steph passes that shot up or Steph misses a couple threes, it's his knee or he's going to shoot himself into it. But with Paul and Harden, they're just going to have to play until they beat the the Warriors or whoever, they're going to have to play with the the whispers in the background about like not being able to come up in a big game. And they they were, they were huge tonight. Seriously. I, what do you think was the turning point of the game? If the, if you could name one? Well, I mean, I think they were already back in it by them, but Harden's dunk uh, Harden's facial on on Draymond was a real like Green is kind of the sheriff of that building, and he's such the emotional engine of that team, and he feeds off the Oracle, and the Oracle feeds off him. That was a little bit of a slaying the dragon moment, I think. Not to put too fine a point on it, but I thought that I thought it was like a real like we're not going to be just we're, you're not going to beat us by thirty, and we're going to go go home and try to win this in Houston moment. Right, the tidal wave from the Warriors is always going to come, and it usually comes in that third quarter. And I thought them being able to withstand and, and punch back is, is always going to be the crucial part of the game. And they did it better than they had perhaps this entire series. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just look at what they've been able to do there, and we talk about like narrative weight and whatnot. I mean, I think that was a good sign just going forward that they weren't able to just like kind of get taken out of it because they had it earlier in the series. I would say, and this is a completely Danny Chow, Danny Chow answer, uh, but there were a couple rebounds that P.J. Tucker mm-hmm. had where I was just like, okay, the Rockets absolutely <laughs> want this. Yeah, yeah. Out rebounding like two or three Warriors yeah. who were standing and looking at it, Karam off the rim. I think also um, Curry taking Curry out in the third, in the second when they were up 38-36 and then because Curry had three yeah. fouls. That probably also, I think... If you go into the halftime with less than seven, I think it's just you come, you come out of it slightly differently. Yeah, as well. in, the, in that final five minutes of the second quarter, the Rockets went on a seventeen and eight yeah. run with Curry out. Yeah, yeah. Looney I mean, getting five too yes. definitely did mm-hmm. not help. He was, he was making a difference. He looks a little shaken end. up too after he did the the hip plant. Like he got kind of like flipped yeah. over mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. So it'll, that'll be a huge, huge, huge thing to watch for. Iguodala health, Chris, Tristan, uh, Clay Thompson health. Uh, Tristan Thompson health. I, I'm I always curious, checking in on that. And Kevon Looney. My least favorite narrative of the, I, I do not want the Rockets to go to the finals. My least favorite narrative of the postseason is the Tristan Thompson revival. I just like I can't. I just can't get down with it. It's it's very rough. Um, let's talk about Boston and Cleveland in a second. Looking ahead, but first, uh, for if it would all sell out for Game Five, do you stick with Looney if you're Steve Kerr, or do you try Jordan Bell? Do you I thought try- the Looney lineup worked, looked great in the first quarter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I really enjoy watching Jordan Bell. It's a very tough assignment for him to be guarding James Harden. So much swag uh, all the way out, like twenty five feet out. Looney does a pretty good job. He's pretty. He shuffles with him pretty well. As, yeah. as well as you can expect someone who's who has been in the league as long as he has, which is not very long, and so much bigger. I would I would 
personally just would rather not lose a series because I played Nick Young too much. Sure. And for right. as much as I think he's amusing, minus 14 tonight, one for three, 0 for two from behind the arc, didn't really look any more focused than he ever looks while playing and just seemed like a... He got burned pretty what bad. What are you doing here, man? Yeah. What about, what about um, Livingston starting small? I'd be okay with that. I, I just, I, I don't think there's any real huge adjustment that they need to make. I just, just Kevin Durant needs to make more than nine shots. Yeah. yeah. And probably I mean, take that last one. <laughs> maybe just go to him in isolation more often than they even have been. I mean, it seems like they still want to try to fit Kevin Durant into what they do, as Danny wrote this morning. But it, at a certain point, just let him loose. Just like, just say, go win us a game. Sure. Let's do some predictions. And then we're going to talk about DeMarcus Cousins as well. Um, first, it. Western Conference Finals. Justin, what is your prediction for this best of three that we have coming? I flip-flopped a lot this series, um, mostly because the Warriors just have a, a way of just stamping out the life in, in certain fandom. Um, but I think Warriors in seven. I, I still can't go against what they have. Danny? I... Warriors in six. Ooh. Ooh. Tough. Interesting. Chris? Warriors Sorry, Tony. I'm going to go Rockets six. in seven. Okay. I've, I've thought this since, like, February, basically. I'm going to stick with it. That doesn't feel good, does it? No, it's horrible. I don't want it to be true, but, I, you know, this is what I feel inside of my soul. Um, tomorrow, probably tonight, if you're listening to this podcast, um, game five in Boston. Let's make some predictions there, Justin. <sighs> I don't know what to think about this series anymore. I think that the Celtics will have a significant advantage because they're back at home, and it seems like these teams only play well at home. But it seems like the Cavs have found something over the past two games that they just didn't have over the first two, which in large part is taking advantage of the smallest guy on the court and just shooting over him anytime possible. I I think the Celtics will win one of the next two games if this goes six, but I think ultimately the Cavs will win two of the three. Danny? You said it all, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Cavs in seven. The LeBron game, I, you know, I, we have a, a Tom Kane who works with us is from Boston, and he was like sort of shaking talking about LeBron coming back to Boston and, and LeBron victories past there. That's going to happen. Yeah. I just don't know if the Cavs have any consistent help for him. Like, you could just let LeBron have 52. I just don't even know whether I, I honestly just don't know if they have enough to win on the road. LeBron's averaging a triple double for the playoffs. Sure, it's crazy. Yep. That's so insane. He's thirty three. I guess the counter is like, do the Celtics have enough consistent offense to like make that matter? Because it hadn't the past at home. Two they games. do. I think. Yeah, that that's what I'm again. Curious to two say. games at home. I mean, this is this. We're gonna have. We could possibly have a Boston Houston finals that's determined by home court advantage in the in the conference finals, and it could. It, it's a really I'm good, good case. What I'm good with that, and it's a really good case for for playing through the end of the regular season. That would, in some ways, be. I mean, I'm sure the league is not rooting for Boston, Boston, Houston, but in some ways, it would be nice for like messaging the importance of the regular season. Sure, I, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Um, let's talk about a little free agency and forecasting for the future. A lot going on with Demarcus Cousins, <laughs> and like, not in a good way. Yeah, he's wearing sweatsuits and like working <laughs> out. So. Does it hurt or help his stock that he that his offseason home is in Las Vegas? I don't think it can help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, but I think the I question— I mean, it's the home of USA Basketball. Counterpoint. Sure. It's the home of Stanley Cup finalists, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. It's a new sports mecca. Right. There's yeah. lots of things going on in Vegas besides debauchery. <laughs> from what I've heard uh, from my colleague Kevin Clark, 
It's a lovely place to live. <laughs> is it? Also, let me just say this. As someone who is, we're, we're all working lots of hours through these playoffs, I feel myself I'm letting myself go. So I can only imagine how I would feel if I had a torn Achilles and I wasn't able to get any exercise. So I think like the like, oh, DeMarcus is like letting himself, what do you guys want him to do? Like Stairmasters? He was Swim, doing dude. Pilates Swim, today. is that what you said? Yeah, get in the cold tub. <laughs> okay, they're like Matt Biondi, just do some butterfly. You, can't you do like the, the water running thing? Yeah. I can't think of the water name. Water size. Treading? Yeah. No, but, not treading. Like it's like aquasize. Yeah, aquasize. <laughs> Listen, he didn't go to Coachella. He's just hanging out and he's just trying to get back on the right path. Is that shots at people who did go to Coachella? I'm not a big Coachella person. But I mean, like, I, I mean, NBA players that went to Coachella. Did they? Oh yes. You didn't see like Courtney Lee's plane picks? No, I feel like they do a good job of hiding this sort of stuff. No. Or maybe I'm not, not looking at no, it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do a good job of hiding it. Well, speaking it took of me which, like five seconds when I heard about Nick Stauskas having a girlfriend in law school to find her. So, <laughs> well, I mean, Cousins in particular hasn't done a good job of hiding his emotions yeah. on the on the gram. Thank you for bringing that up. Right. He like, keeps liking all these comments about like you better just get paid. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think that's a good strategy. Let's take. Can we take all the guys who people are treating their contract status as toxic and give them, put them on Seattle? So can we do Boogie, Blake, Chris Paul, and even you know <laughs> even Westbrook, and put them all like Seattle can only have like f- these five guys and then like a bunch of D leaguers, but like they have to pay the two hundred and fifty million dollar. Salary hit like a Isle of Dogs for ransom. Yeah, contracts. if you guys don't want them, if New Orleans doesn't want Cousins and Houston doesn't want to sign up Paul, let's just put them on Seattle. It'd be a good team. It'd be so fun. Blake Boogie and Chris Paul again. I'd move to Seattle. You would. <laughs> I really like Seattle. I'm a big uh, Pacific Northwest type of guy. Me too. I love it. Okay, you. I, I don't see I'm Boogie there. Rain. What's that? I'm out on rain. You're out on rain. Are yeah. you in on Boogie and paying Boogie a max? No. Okay. Not at all. Do you <laughs> don't give older centers who coming off an Achilles injury the max? I, I honestly wouldn't give any player coming off an Achilles uh, a max, no matter who it was. Like, I just don't trust that injury at all. Yeah, I think the big takeaway of all of this stuff, which really boils down to a few likes and, and, and follows, is that it seems like the Pelicans might be willing to play hardball, which we didn't assume a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We just assumed that because they were so cap-strapped that they were going to give Boogie whatever he wanted, basically like what they did last offseason with Drew Holiday. Uh, but it seems like they're in a position now, because they played so well and because the market is thinning for centers, I think Zach Lowe said the other day that there's maybe like two other teams that yeah. might be interested, that he might not be able to get what he's looking for from anywhere. It's dumb GM musical chairs, and I right now it feels like we're maybe running out of the chairs. Like It's like there's not that many people out there who would make the mistake, so that's going to change the market. And I think that if, if New Orleans can get really creative, maybe they can upgrade a couple of the things that they have around Davis, and then you just say, okay, Drew and Davis, let's just see how far you can get. Maybe next year we get a better seed, we get a better path. We don't hit the Warriors in the second round and grab a Spurs or a, a Thunder or a Wolves matchup and take it from there. Should we talk about Cat? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe Zach Lowe With Wendy. and Brian Wintorch reported that the Wolves and Carl Anthony Towns are not in a good place. Internally. Internally. First question, who leaks that? Which side? CA or the Wolves? Well, there was also the other story. It was the story about Tom... With, about Tibbs flipping out at like a a weird event. Did he like throw a chair or something? Was that true though? The story was that he threw like a computer through a window and it turned out not to be true. But it's definitely something I want to be true more yeah. than anything. Okay, so is who leaks the cat story? 
It's a great question. I I think that the Wolves leak that, is my opinion, because I don't really know what Towns has to gain coming off of a kind of underwhelming season. I mean, tonight, Reggie Miller, I think, said, it might have been Chris Weber, I can't remember, said that Capella outplayed Carl Anthony Towns in the previous round, or the yep. first round. Um, that's an indictment. Carl, Capella is good, but he was a project. Carl Anthony Towns was a number one pick. And, I mean, he's at best also a third option. Yeah. And Towns should be your number one. He, he was a generational in the superstar. Oh, yeah. Maybe. He was in the unicorn conversation for right. a long time, and now he's definitely out of it. It so, definitely seemed like the Kentucky alumni group chat sprang to action after that <laughs> happened, too. Yeah, so, and then the, the other piece to this is that Towns, um, there was pictures of him wearing Booker's jersey. Which were from a while ago, apparently, but Towns recently liked them. Yes. What the fuck are we doing with our lives? (laughs) Man, I I live on this kind of stuff. It's fine. And then um, that was like tweeted out and Booker responded with the eyes. And then Zach Levine also like jumped in the fray as well because he was like Towns' good friend before he got traded. So um, I don't know. Zach and Bill talked about it, and Zach, I believe, said no. The Wolves do not trade Towns. But like, what do you what do you do with a malcontent former unicorn who's like just now a regular tall basketball? I'm following the story very intently because the introduction of Jimmy Butler into the Baby Wolves uh, mix is is very much something that could be a a Sixer situation if they go off and try to get an all star to join and beat Simmons. And you know who'd be a horrible influence on the Sixers? Jimmy Butler. Can <laughs> you expand on that? <laughs> no, I just don't think that the teams he's played on seem particularly happy. Yeah, little, except for Team USA, yeah. prickly personality. I, I, but that's the thing. Like Paul George isn't known to be that person. Kawhi isn't known to be that person. It well, Kawhi also may have basically just like sat out a season because he was not happy about something. I mean, I, I Kawhi comes with the Uncle Dennis tax too. It's a whole, whole different ballgame. I think the issue is that all the issues are compounded because you have Tibbs just grinding away at everyone on top of everything. Yeah, so, but even before Tibbs, it was like Glenn Taylor being like, I want to look Andrew Wiggins in the eye and make sure he means it and wants it. It's like, I don't think that this has been a really... Uh, yeah, I don't think they have brought along these guys quite that well. I don't think the Jimmy no. thing wound up helping as much. You have to think that they would probably have been in line for the eighth seed if Jimmy Butler hadn't been there. I mean, obviously, Jimmy Butler, when they were when they were all playing together in the earlier part of the season, they got to what the third seed. Listen, Wiggins was also like reportedly unhappy with his touches this year. They brought in Derrick Rose, who is not like the locker room guy, and also took away minutes from from Teague and whatever. Or not from Teague, but from, you know. They brought in the, the Tibbs' Hogan's Heroes. They yeah. had Jamal Crawford out there chucking. I mean, it was like, <laughs> this was that. like such a weird and team. Taj, yeah. I mean, it's like this Frankenstein vets who've played for Tibbs before. That, that That's just not fixable. Like, that, I don't know how you solve that. I, Tibbs will have to go at some point. Yeah, my takeaway is just like, this isn't a very happy-go-lucky, sensitive workplace environment. Right. And I think those sort of things are just going to grind on people. And I also wonder, long-term, if all of these guys fit together. I mean, Wiggins' biggest issue, in, on top of all of Wiggins' issues, is that he's a bit too duplicative with Butler. And if you're yeah. going to shade with any of them, it's going to be Butler, because Butler is actually yeah, producing. aren't we right. getting through this Eastern Conference Finals and being like, oh, it's so amazing how Boston has all these interchangeable, like, rangy wings? I mean, like, wouldn't Butler and Wiggins at their best be like the best version of Tatum and Brown? Sure, yeah, but I guess the issue there is that those guys all try 100, 100% of the times. I mean, Wiggins' issue is so crazy because it seems like he has all the talent in the world. He just needs to use it. Yeah. Tatum and Brown are both much better than Andrew Wiggins. I love Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's better than he Jason He seems like Tatum. an incredible hang, too. Yeah. 
My take is I think this is overstated. I think he got some really good press, and everyone's mm. like, Jalen Brown, yes, let's go. But I don't have any because evidence. Because you don't have any aggressive opinions about Jason Tatum's coolness. <laughs> I don't think Jason Tatum's cool. I just really enjoy watching him play basketball. Jalen Brown had one really good Guardian article about him. And, <laughs> and a Wikipedia page that like suggests that he speaks five languages. There's no evidence of that. I think, and, I just, and an incomprehensible, like, social media handle. Yes. It's like, it's actually, it stands for faith with challenges. Like, it's some like weird. It's it's too much. It's not weird. It's just like some long, like personal motto. But I'm just saying, Jalen Brown like gets a pass in the media because everyone read the same article and was like, that guy's cool. We gotta take Jalen Brown down a peg or two. <laughs> he's <laughs> been just, coasting too long. I, he's really good. And also, I'm, I respect how hard he's made, he's like, you know, changed his game and made himself a great NBA player. But I'm just saying, show me more than one article. Give me some interviews that prove this. Is there a single good Jason Tatum interview? No, but also no one's like, that guy's so smart. Would love to hang out with him. (laughs) I'm also the first one to be like, no, I don't want to hang out with him. I'd love to talk to you about his child, though. You were first. You were first. (laughs) It's fine. It's totally fine. I think Jalen's the type of guy who wouldn't contribute a lot to Slack, but he would jump in the national affairs one like once a month and say something really like profound profound and poignant. You'd be like, yeah. And then he would leave the Slack. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. He would be a Totally. Um, let's let's end this podcast on an emotional heat check. Can I ask you one question? Which sure. Celtic would you most want to be in a Slack channel with? Al Horford, no question. First of all, he wouldn't Slack that much, so it like, wouldn't be annoying. And second of all, I have a crush on him. I would want to be in a Slack channel with Marcus Smart. <laughs> High energy. It's got to be Terry. Terry's just saying Terry. whatever the fuck comes no, to his mind. No, because Terry would only be like, buy my shirt, check out my meme. Um, that's, that's us, good, though. That's a good point. Marcus Smart would be a good one. Al Horford I'd like to have dinner with, but Marcus Smart maybe we could text yeah. Slack. Um, what was your last question? Finally, I'd like to end on an emotional heat check for you, Chris Ryan. This is not the Heat Check podcast, but how do you feel about your your 1B franchise player um, vacationing at the Atlantis Resort, which is really, really cheesy, mm-hmm. yet expensive, with the minority owner credited with bringing Meek Mill to game three of the previous round, um, Michael Rubin. Uh, getting some Robert Para vibes from Michael Rubin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Would love for him to not— re- Remember when Michael— Robert Perra played one-on-one with Tony, Tony Allen, Allen during yeah. the playoffs and then Tony Allen had like a hamstring strain. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just don't want jo- Joel playing basketball in flip-flops. Thinks, I, th- I think he should have like cooler, more wide variety of friends. I think that there's probably better places to stay than Atlantis, although if Atlantis wants to comp me to find out what, how cool it is, I'm open to it. There's a Mary-Kate and Ashley movie set at the Atlantis. That's all you need to know. Okay. So, I mean, but, you know, the thing is, is Joel is out, like, drinking pictures of Shirley Temples and, and hanging out with Justin Bieber. He's not the coolest guy in the world. So, my take on this is I don't think it's that bad. I think the Atlantis thing is kind of embarrassing. But I just think of all of the, of all of the places that your, your superstar with um, a history of injury could be, this is really not that bad. I also just want to say that him trying to like clown Aaron Baines when the Celtics beat the Sixers is loser shit. Yeah. He should be above that. It's true. Like Manbling lives to get dunked on. It's like Aaron Baines is like playing pretty well in the Eastern Conference Finals or not. He's he's very useful on his team. Yeah. (laughs) Can I give you my conspiracy theory on the Michael Rubin stuff? Yes. I think Joel 
reads the blogs and he sees that LeBron might be coming to the Sixers. And Embiid knows that if LeBron comes, the spacing might not be great. He might not be able to take a few more threes than he's used to. Maybe he and Ben Simmons, one of them, ends up getting traded. So he rubs up to Michael Rubin and is like, listen, we don't need LeBron. You just got to keep us together. And that's, so you think this is the whisper campaign? I think so. That's interesting. Huh. I don't know. Who do you think wants—you think Embiid definitely wants LeBron less than Simmons? Oh, 100%. Embiid gets traded if uh, LeBron comes. I don't know about that. He does. I, He's—I really don't—he is Lebr- so popular in Philly. If LeBron comes to your team and he has a fellow—there aren't that many clutch clients in the league, and so, like, two of them are on the same team, you think they're going to trade away one of them? Guys, you just make it work. They're both on. Yeah, they're both <laughs> like, on. Why do deal we have to, What's the point of getting LeBron if you have to trade one of these guys? I don't want to make this darker than it needs to be, but we don't know if Embiid's going to be healthy again. He's fine. <laughs> Is there indication he's not healthy? <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, just because he was healthy for one season doesn't necessarily mean he'll be healthy. One season forward. does not a career make. Right. If that's what you're saying. Yep. Exactly. That's what I thought. Well, everyone, this has been a lively, special Tuesday night. Wednesday morning for some uh, NBA ring, Ringer NBA show. Come back tomorrow night, Wednesday, for group chat. I won't be here. You probably won't miss me, though. And, of course, <laughs> on, <laughs> <you're so> short. <laughs> on Friday, we got draft class. And on Sunday nights, we got heat check. And I think we're headed for two game seven. So that means there's a game every day for um, the rest of time. The or, rest of my life. Or yeah. at least until next Monday. Thanks for Juliet, listening. What? Bachelorette back. Oh, yes. And the Bachelorette, one of the television shows I, I cover. It's coming back on Monday. You can listen to Bachelor Party. First guest, David Jacoby of ESPN. And many more, more, many more guests to come. It's going to be a great season. Yeah. Thanks. Do you guys have any personal announcements before we go? I got to go edit a blog. <laughs> <laughs> I actually will say, on The Bachelorette this season, there is a professional dunker. He is also a body double for like Donovan Mitchell in his Adidas commercials. Do you think he gets farther than the pro football focus guy? No, I don't. I think that this gentleman, Chris Staples, gets out rather early, which hopefully means he'll be on my podcast soon. Wow. Dare to dream. Yes. Thanks again for listening. Listen to the Ringer NBA show all week. And uh, thanks again to ADT and Microsoft Teams. And Big Ev! Anything is possible!